Hello, I'm Joshua Groisberg, a history enthusiast. And I'm Jacob Friedman, founder of People's Big News. And this is Gen Zero's Talk Politics. This is where two members of the next generation of American adults talk about what's going on in the world. Since the whole world is on fire, we might as well take a crack at delivering some insightful analysis and maybe some comedy along the way. We have Molly Flicker with us from the Unconventional Wisdom Project. Molly, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. So explain to our audience, what is the Unconventional Wisdom Project? So the Unconventional Wisdom Project is something that I started when I was a freshman in high school. So about three years ago, which is crazy how fast time has gone. Um, And what the Unconventional Wisdom Project does is it curates articles from differing viewpoints. Most of the articles are from professional journals, but some of them actually as of recently, have included my own work. And they basically curate these articles with differing viewpoints, usually strongly contrasting one another on major topics. And the purpose of the Unconventional Wisdom Project is for people to allow themselves to learn both sides of every issue before deciding what their opinion is. And a lot of people obviously have preconceived notions based on where they live, who their parents are, what their parents believe, all the influential adults and media in their lives, especially in such a technology-reliant world that we live in. And so what I like to say to people is when you go to the Unconventional Wisdom Project, you come to it with an open mind, not that you're necessarily going to change your opinions, but that you're going to, for the first time, actually be able to say that they are, in fact, your opinions and not just a lack of other information. How did this start? So freshman year in high school, I joined the debate team. I've always been, my parents will joke that I've been practicing my rhetorical skills ever since I was born. I've always been outspoken, but the debate team was something that I was really excited for. I didn't really have that type of club or anything in middle school or before. So it was a really cool opportunity for me. And I joined the debate team. And so I was doing Lincoln-Douglas debate, which is basically one-on-one policy debates. And When I first joined the debate team, I didn't realize that you actually, through each tournament, are arguing both sides of different issues. So you are going to be cutthroat arguing, this is the only way, it has to be X. And then 30 minutes later, you're in the next round, it has to be Y, there's no other way. And so when I was in these debates, I found that, first of all, the most important thing to do while you're arguing is constantly think, okay, if I'm arguing X, what could Y say? And so even when you are arguing X, you're kind of arguing back the other side in your head. And so you're constantly looking between these two sides. Um, And I thought it was super cool. And whenever I would tell anyone about it, they would always say to me, is it hard? And it wasn't something that I'd ever thought about before. Is it hard? I just thought, okay, this is what I have to do for debate. I learn about both the sides. I never thought about it as like a politically fueled thing, but everyone would always say, is it hard for you to argue if you don't agree with one of the sides? Because I think a lot of people were under the notion that you picked a side that you believed. And so I thought it was really interesting because I actually, a lot of the issues weren't very prevalent that I had debated in the Lincoln-Douglas debate because of course they're not going to be using overly sensitive issues. But I thought about it and would it be hard for me to argue an issue that I didn't necessarily agree with? And I thought, well, it's not that hard for me because 
when I'm arguing about the sides, I'm forced to educate myself on both sides. And as I educate myself on both sides, I notice how not black and white it is. And there's this really great quote from Neil Schusterman. He's a children's author, but I think it's such a beautiful quote. And this is probably not it directly, but it says, in a perfect world, everything would be black or white, right or wrong, and everyone would know the difference. But this isn't a perfect world. The problem is people who think it is. And what I think is so beautiful about that quote is it really encaptures we are live in such a politically polarized society, and especially during these times, but it's always been that, which is obviously a great thing. I think that it's awesome that not the polarization in itself, but the idea that we're able to advocate for both sides and that we're able to disagree and we have that freedom. But I think that the most important thing about what I learned from being on the debate team is that by learning both sides of the issue, that's the only way you really can form an opinion. And so after being continuously asked the question, is it hard? That's when I decided to create the Unconventional Wisdom Project because I wanted more people to have the opportunity that I was forced to have by joining the debate team of looking at both sides. Yeah, I must say, I, I've been doing mock trial for the last four years. And I think similar to the debate team, you know, the power of a mock trial team isn't decided just by legal skills and concepts, but also understanding both sides. And uh, yeah, I definitely agree about the that gray area part of it. So what do you hope to accomplish with your project? What is your ultimate goal? My main audience for the project, although I do want to have a very broad outreach, it is a lot of young adults and high school age students and around that age. And my main goal is honestly not to persuade any opinions. The project itself is completely nonpartisan. So I don't want to persuade one way or another. What I really just want to do is allow for people and especially young people to branch outside what their parents are saying, what the certain media outlet that they're looking at is saying, what the TikTok accounts they're following is saying. I want them to get the opportunity to read not an opinion piece, but a factual piece from both sides. Because I think that people are so quick to glorify one side rather than discredit another. And I think that's a very bad thing because obviously there are two sides to every story. That means that both sides are going to have some extent of value. And so it's important to learn about both sides. And I honestly want to spread the education of both sides. Um, so I would say the main goal of the Unconventional Wisdom Project is to broaden people's perspectives and also to limit the polarization and the kind of anger that is currently withheld in politics. Do you plan on expanding your project to additional platforms? Yes. Yeah, so right now we have a website and then we have some social media such as an Instagram and a Facebook, but we are working on creating some different projects. So we are actually working on creating our own podcast, which is in the making and I think would be really exciting. And we'd love to have you guys on our podcast because I know that you guys, along with your podcast, do some different news networkings and stuff like that. So and we're also working on creating a documentary in which we want to kind of almost like a study because beyond um, the actual decisions, I'm also very fascinated in the actual science and the art behind decision making. I've been fortunate enough because of the Zoom based platform to sit into some undergraduate political science courses. And I've also been taking a neuroscience course through Burke through um which was really cool. And so I've gotten to kind of learn about that stuff. And so through the documentary, we kind of want to frame it as a case study of where kids our age, so around ages 
let's say 13 to 17 or 18 are getting most of their political opinions from and how strong these opinions are, but also how much of the other side do they know? So you mentioned you uh, place multiple articles and multiple opinions on your website. How do you screen whichever ones you think are fit? I mean, do you do extensive research on it? So I do extensive research and it's also, there's a lot of gray area because what something that I struggle to find is the idea of a factual article versus a biased article and which even is more helpful because sometimes when you acknowledge the bias in an article, then reading that article may still be beneficial because you're seeing that viewpoint. And so I definitely think that the main thing that I'm cautious of when posting the different curated articles is my captioning for them. And so, for example, I will have to clearly state, is this piece an opinion piece? Is this piece focused on research? Is this a statistic piece? Is this a piece that is stating something from a personal perspective? Because I put them on my site with new titles, not the title of the actual article. And so I think that I have to be really cautious and thoughtful in what I label them. And so I think my site does include a variation of different sources, which include prestigious case study journal articles, all the way to straight opinion pieces that are heavily biased and heavily from a perspective that maybe doesn't understand the other side so much. And then all the way up into I've included my own pieces that I've written for my honors English class, including piece on cancel culture and my perspectives on that. And so I think that I do definitely engage in extensive research when selecting my pieces because I don't want anything that has false information or I don't want anything that's going to be inappropriate or rude or anything like that. But to a large extent, I do include a wide, wide variety of different types of articles. Is it just you who's working on this full time or do you have like a team? Uh, What's your official role? So I founded the project and I would say it's pretty much just me on the team. So we had somebody working for photography aspect for the project and she was going to help with the documentary, but I'm not sure exactly how that's lining up because the documentary was kind of put on hold because of Corona. That's when it was originally starting, but now we're starting to get back in the gears of it now that everything's calmed down. And also now that we've had a lot of emphasis on topics right now for the website, because we also don't want to make the documentary have too much bias or polarization within it. And so we didn't want to do it too close to any election or anything like that. And so we're definitely getting a big kicks up on it. And so for the documentary, I do have a larger team, um, Naomi Cohen. She's currently an undergraduate student at Brandeis University, and she works with like journalism and documentary making and filmmaking. So she's currently assisting me with creating the documentary and creating the format for that. But in regard to the website and its creation and upkeep, that is actually just me as of now. So right now, where can our listeners find the project and how can they get involved? Okay, that is an awesome question. So you can find the project at theunconventionalwisdomproject.com and you can also find us on Instagram under the Unconventional Wisdom Project. And I would say the best way to get involved, well, first of all, on our website, we would love for you guys all to subscribe because that's probably the simplest and less least committal way to get involved. You can stay in touch with all of the 
new topics. We also have on our website opportunities for users to actually submit their own topic suggestions and also article suggestions. And so we always encourage some of our best topics have been submitted by our readers, which is really awesome because the whole idea is to benefit students and to benefit all different types of people. And so I think that when our listeners and readers do submit topics, it's awesome because it allows us to really know that we're connecting with them. And we also have our contact information and an email, which is all posted on the website and ways to contact us through there. And so if anyone was interested in potentially writing an article for the website or engaging in the documentary or anything like that, we're always open to suggestions and they could contact us through there. Is there anything else you would like to tell our audience? I think that the main thing that I would love to leave your audience with is just to keep a broad mind, especially in the current political environment that we're in. There are so many sources that you have no idea are even impacting you, whether it be a simple commercial or Google. Google search actually makes inferences and shows you differing articles based on where you live. And so things such as confirmation bias are constantly relevant in our lives without us even knowing it. And so I think that my biggest advice would be before you say you have an opinion, go to the source that you absolutely don't trust, the source that you think is your biggest opponent and read that source. And you're still allowed to keep your same opinion, but instead of glorifying your opinion, go through the source you disagree with and discredit it. So for example, if you think that one journal article is absolutely ridiculous, you don't agree with the politics behind it, you don't agree with the policies behind it, you simply don't agree with what they're saying, look through the article and almost have a debate with yourself. I think it's so important because the debate team has helped me so much, but I think beyond it, it has taught me how to debate myself. That was the biggest skill that I've learned from it is you're constantly in your head thinking of what the other opponent will say. So when you're reading articles, even if they're articles that you do agree with, read them from the perspective of a debate competition, read them of, okay, they're saying this, well, what does this really mean? And let me fact check this and always, always be on your feet always be on your feet. That's what I would basically say is most important. Molly, thank you so much for coming on. This has been wonderful. Uh, We will make sure to leave links to your website and the social media in the description of this podcast. We'll be sharing it around. Thank you so much, Molly, for joining us here today. Thank you so much. Make sure to subscribe. And this was really awesome opportunity. I hope to talk with you guys again. So Infrastructure Week is finally here. Biden has released his $2 trillion plan to fund a massive infrastructure overhaul. The U.S. badly needs. We are 13th of infrastructure. We just got a C- minus grade on in total across the country. And I got to say, I'm happy with this. It's a lot of money, sure, but this is an important step we need to take in order to compete with China, have a, a increase happiness, increase lifespan, increase economic well-being. Yeah, you, you definitely have that right, Jacob. I mean, we went from, I believe, fifth to 13th place in the last 15 years in terms of infrastructure. It's about time that the government really puts forward an ambitious agenda to change infrastructure. Biden directly referenced, you know, Dwight Eisenhower, who was president in the 50s, who was famous for built for constructing the national highway system that continues to support us even to this day. And you're right, this is definitely important in our competition with China. We spend a lot of time discussing big tech, technology influence over different countries. But really, China has been raising modern cities out of the ground, 
and American inf- infrastructure has failed to catch up. And not only does it help internationally, you know, does something like this plan gets through Congress. This is going to mark the biggest transition away from the mutation of movement, movement conservatism that went from, you know, principles of limited government to an anti-government and anti-civil liberties, anti-private property, oligarchical, you know, Trumpism. We're going to go, we're going to turn away from that. We're actually going to move past the, the past 40 years and we're going to actually have a, another, a, a better balance of, of private and public investment in, in form of housing, schools, new technologies for transportation, new electric vehicles, charging stations. And there's an argument going on that, you know, the, uh, where about the debt? Yeah, where about the deficits? $2 trillion. Well, Keynesian economics, this is something we have to spend money on. There's no shortcutting infrastructure spending as we've seen for, the, for decades now. We are cutting spending in some ways. We are dropping oil subsidies and we are reforming the tax plans. We are raising corporate tax rate from 21 to 28% and uh, closing some of the loopholes, which is good because companies are going to be start yeah. paying their fair share. We're going to have an actual tax code that reflects what America actually needs to innovate. Companies aren't going to be able to have offshore bank accounts anymore. They're going to be investing here in the United States. Like you've said, this is a very ambitious plan, and I agree that we definitely need this to maintain our place in the world and to provide for our citizens. But really, the hard part will be convincing the American people and Congress to spend $2 trillion on a project that will probably take a very long time and will definitely go beyond the Biden administration. So I'm really hoping that the Biden administration casts this plan to the American people as something that can be organized well that can be executed well, and that can be done relatively quickly. Right. Listen, me personally, I wish there was more about nuclear energy, like actually building nuclear, better nuclear power plants, but we're not going to get it. Fine. I mean, it never gained much traction in the U.S., and it's ever since uh, Chernobyl in 1986 and uh, Fukushima, those disasters, really the status of nuclear energy has really rapidly declined. And I think it's highly unlikely that the U.S. will really begin any sort of serious development into nuclear energy anytime soon. I mean, that's why I'm hoping something like using the bully pulp of the presidency would allow nuclear energy. It's a very clean, very actually very safe form of clean energy. But and we'll go back to your larger point. There's a lot of criticism from a lot of them, all sides of the spectrum. Blue dog Democrats, a lot of their state and local tax deductions back that the 2017 Trump tax cuts essentially uh, destroyed. A lot of the, um, the actual conservatives are worried about debt, are worried about a lot of public government influence, which, okay, fair. And you know, progressives are saying this is go far enough. It's too small. It's it's not enough focus on climate change. But just look at what this is. It's we're expanding broadband. We're providing better railroads. We're modernizing our pipes, our water systems. We're actually building affordable housing. We're building up community colleges. This is a good step. And this is only the first of two major plans we're going to get from the Biden administration. And he's yeah. going to well, roll out over the summer. Yeah, I mean, it's worth noting that all of this so far is on on paper, but I really believe that we have to be more aggressive in pushing for the U.S. to become less dependent on oil and become more dependent on renewable sources, because we've been trying to do it gradually for so, so long, and it's been faced with a lot of resistance from corporations and from other politicians. I mean, not to mention that, looking for the conservative argument, it's actually allows us to be independent, energy independent, not, you know, through oil, but through electric vehicles made in America. Something we've really been having a trouble with is that we've been extremely dependent on oil imports from countries like Russia, from countries like Saudi Arabia. If America jumps on the train early on 
and leads the way in electronic vehicles and renewable energy, then we can bring more jobs back to this country and improve the lives of so many citizens. And that concludes this episode of Gen Zero Stock Politics. Be sure to join our Discord server, follow us on Instagram at Gen Zero Stock Politics, and on Twitter at Gen Zero Stock Poly with an I, and add or email us to ask your burning questions. Thanks for joining us, and we hope to see you next time. Thank you.